Now is the time when we usually invite our children to come forward for our children's sermon, um, and we miss having them here with us this morning, but we still wanted to keep that special time in our service for them. So I want to tell you a little bit uh, about something I did when I was a child to help me with my worries. When I was little, I had a little box that had these tiny little dolls in them. They were called worry dolls. Um, And they were colorful and different shapes, and some were men and some were women, and there were about a dozen of them, and they lived in this beautiful little box. And what I could do with them is I could tell them my worries. I'd whisper them in their ear. They were just about this big, though. I'd whisper my worries in their ear, and then I'd tuck them back into the box, and I could put my worries away and aside. Because we all get worried at at times, and we all have lots of things we're worried about right now. Um, And when I was little, I could do that, and it was so comforting that I could put my worries aside and let someone else hold them for me in that moment. But you know what, friends? God can do that for us, too. God wants to hear from us and wants to know our worries and is big enough and strong enough and loves us enough to hold them for us. So even when we're worried, God will be with us, and God can hold those worries for us and will always love us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are big enough to hold our worries, that you love us enough to never leave us alone and to be with us always. Thank you that we can trust you with everything. All this we ask and pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, I assure you that I recognize the irony of this moment. Here I am tasked with preaching a word from Jesus Christ where Jesus tells us, do not worry, that tomorrow has enough troubles for itself, and so simply focus on today. And you know what? I think it is all well and good that I am sitting here right now preaching this word, but I'm preaching to an empty sanctuary And that's as it should be, because we want to take care of one another in these times and look out for those that are most vulnerable in our midst. And yet at the same time, what that means is we have to be honest with ourselves that this is a time of worry, and yes, we are worried. We are worried about our health and the health of others. We are worried about our economy and what this slowdown in activity across the globe might mean for people's ability to make the living that they need in these times. As if that weren't enough, those of us that live in the Middle Tennessee area were already worried about many neighbors and friends who were directly impacted by the dangerous storms and tornadoes that came through this area just less than two weeks ago. And then if you want to add another worry on top of that, we are United Methodists. We have been worried about our church, our denomination in these last few years. And we were hoping that maybe our church leaders from across the globe would be able to gather next month and get together and start to think about how we can be a church that loves each and every one of God's children. And now we wonder if those gatherings and those decisions will be postponed 
or disrupted by this pandemic as well. So it seems that there's worry on top of worry on top of worry. And that doesn't even take into account all of the different worries that you might have as you worship with us from the relative safety and comfort or of home or wherever else it is that you are gathered to be with us in this time. Now, this is a very strange time. And Pastor Maggie looked at me this week and said, you know what? I think that you might be just the right person to preach this week. And what she meant by that was that I am somebody that identifies as a six on the Enneagram. Uh, some of you may not know what the Enneagram is, um, but we have been offering classes on it in our church in the last few months. We also hosted a workshop with Enneagram expert Suzanne Stabile with over 500 people in here just several weeks ago. But the Enneagram is a personality typing system that has nine types of personalities and a person is supposed to identify their core motivation. And for people like me who identify as sixes, well my core motivation is identified as fear or anxiety. So I'm a person who often in my life, when I am trying to navigate the world and figure out what I need to do in a situation, I have to be careful that I don't allow my natural propensity to worry and have anxiety to win the day as I do those things. So maybe I am a pretty good person to preach on this text in this moment at this time. But you know, I don't think you really have to know anything about the Enneagram or you don't have to be any particular type of person to have experienced the sensation of anxiety and worry. And I think right now it's safe to say that we all are feeling at least some of that in these days. So we ask ourselves then, what could Jesus mean when Jesus says, do not worry? Do not worry. Well, first and foremost, I think it's important to know that as I looked at different translations of this verse this week, it seemed that those persons that knew Greek better than I do thought that one of the best ways to translate that word worry was actually don't be anxious. And so anxiety is actually a really good word to keep in mind as we think about this teaching of Jesus. And what is anxiety? Anxiety, the best way I could put it is, it is something that pervades the very essence of your being and gets down into the core of your soul that is a bother or a worry or a series of what-ifs that begin to crowd out everything that might be good or whole or holy in a given moment or maybe in many given moments. And so I think we can hold on to that word anxiety and say, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about things, but what do we do with that? Well, I don't think Jesus is saying you're never going to worry and you're never going to have any kind of anxiety, especially in a moment like this. There are many dangers, toils, and snares always, like the hymn Amazing Grace puts it. And this world is not perfect. 
And we are not guaranteed a perfect outcome from day to day. Maybe in the long run, we have a promise of eternity and of some kind of rightness in this creation. But we're not promised that on a day-to-day -day basis. We know things will get messy, and I think Jesus knew that too. But what Jesus was also trying to get us to do is remember to focus on what is most important. That we are created by a loving God who cares for us, who cares for others, and who cares for all of creation. And so what does Jesus do? But Jesus goes to creation itself and finds two life forms that we share the earth with to give us a different way of seeing. We might think of it as a different posture to life. And he identifies these two and says, maybe you can learn something from them. And they're not the most likely teachers, but let's see what they have to show us. So Jesus says that we should look to the blossom of the lily. He says, look at the lily and see how it does not toil, nor does it spin, and yet it is clothed in raiments that are far more glorious than anything that King Solomon ever had in all of his riches. But you know, how does the lily get to that point? Well, you know, the lily by its very nature has no choice really but to be. To be what it is created to be and to live as best as it can in the moment in time in which it is placed in creation. It relies upon the soil in which it is planted to give it nourishment. It, replies, it, it, it relies on the rain that comes from the skies to give it drinks of water. It relies on the beautiful sun to warm it and it stretches toward the sun. But the lily doesn't really have a choice about that. The lily just does that. The lily just is. It's an invitation to be, just like the lily can be. And it's a really interesting metaphor, too, because if you see what Jesus says about those beautiful grasses and blossoms, he says, they will be cut down tomorrow and thrown into the stove. He says, they will be thrown away. And yet, think about it, they dare to live and to blossom and to bring glory into God's creation. And he says, how much more so are you created to do that? And then he points to the birds of the air. And he says, the birds neither reap nor do they sow, and they don't gather things in their barns. As we talked about this at Bible study on Tuesday morning, it was the very last time I taught before we started canceling things this week. We discussed, well, is Jesus telling us that we should never care about any of the necessities of life? Because that seems a little foolish. And while I admit that there is some measure of foolishness in everything about faith in Jesus Christ, I don't believe that that's quite what Jesus is saying. If we look to the birds, the birds do prepare. They make nests for themselves and homes. They lay eggs in those nests, they take care of those eggs, they go and they find food where it is. But the thing about the bird that is somewhat different from us is that the bird 
has to work with whatever is given in that moment in time and whatever is available for it in the world around it. In fact, if you've ever seen a bird's nest, you may have noticed that nowadays birds don't even just use twigs and branches to make their nests. Sometimes you'll see bits of paper that they get out of a dumpster or they will find some piece of plastic or something else to incorporate into their homes. So they are always figuring out how to work with what is there. And so I think Jesus gives us an image of how to deal with our bothers through the blossoms and the birds by suggesting two things, that we are called to, in all times, do all that we can to simply be, to be in the moment, to be in the presence of God, to do the things that are in front of us to do. And I think God invites us to look for the resources to do those things in surprising places and in surprising ways without undue burden of worrying about where those resources will come from, but trusting that in the midst of this great creation that there is enough for all of us, that there is care for all of us, and that we are all in this together. The bird and the blossom show what it is to be radically embedded in God's creation and radically embedded in God's presence. And we are called to learn from their example. Now I will admit as somebody whose core motivation, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is worry and anxiety, that has been something that has been really hard for me to put into practice in my life, to hear this teaching of Jesus, and to own it as something that I can trust. And yet, as I thought about that this week, I also realized that there are times in my life that I have been forced to practice that very way of being by the circumstances of life. One such time was almost 10 years ago now when my younger daughter was born. Many of you may not know this, but my daughter Miriam, who is nine years old now, she was born extremely premature. She was an extreme preemie, born three months early, and she weighed only two pounds at birth. I can only let you imagine what that anxiety and worry was like for me and my wife. In those first days, we could do almost nothing to take care of our daughter. She was in an incubator, and we had to rely on the doctors and nurses that knew way more than we did to tend to her and love on her. And we had to put our faith and trust in God that God would be with us no matter what happened in those days and weeks. And then, miraculously, came the time where we were able to take her home with us. And that was still a month before her due date. A month before she was originally supposed to be born. And she came home with us, a fragile baby, at four pounds with some health issues. When you look at the pictures, she almost looked sick at times because she was still struggling to get into this world. And if our anxieties and worries were already in place while we were in the hospital, imagine what that was like. The what-ifs started to really bubble up. What if we aren't cut out to be parents of a baby like this? What if we can't make it through this time uh, uh, emotionally? 
What if her body does not hold up to being outside of the hospital? And so the only thing we could do was start to take things day by day. We did the best we could to follow the instructions of our doctors in this moment right now that we're experiencing of social distancing and self-quarantine. Well, we had that in our lives at that time. We had to keep Miriam away from people that might get her sick. And so my wife usually didn't come to church. I usually went alone to church. Our patterns were disrupted in our daily living. We had to wake her up every four hours to feed her for a whole year on the clock just so she would get enough nutrition and would be able to thrive. It was a scary time. And the only thing we could do was rely that God was with us, to believe that God was with us in that moment and that we could do what we could do that was in front of us day by day. You know, as anxious and as worried as those times were, though, I look back on them now and I realize they were some of the most precious times in our life as a family. I don't know that we've ever relied on God as much as we did in those times. I know we haven't relied as much on the love of family and friends and church members as much as we did in those moments. I know that we spent more time together, my wife and I did, than we had in our entire relationship together up to that point. We were together all the time. Probably the most time we have spent together in a year in the 20 plus years that I've known her. We also spent time in the presence of our two-year-old daughter who was already with us and Emerson was a joy at that time in our lives in the midst of that scary time. And all three of us gathered around Miriam as we worked to help her survive and become a vibrant part of our family. And like I said, now my daughter is a beautiful and vibrant nine-year-old. And coming through that time day by day and relying on what was in front of us and what was given to us and doing just what was ours to do each day got us through. So maybe this time of self-isolation and this time where we may feel more apart from one another is an invitation to a different kind of being, a being that is a bit more like the blossoms and the birds. Maybe this can be a time to be amongst those who are most dear to you. This can be a time to think about what is most important in life and to cherish those things. And this can be a time to simply be in the presence of God in a way that maybe our hurried lives often don't let us be. Perhaps it's no coincidence that this week our spiritual prayer practice was going to be centering prayer. Each week throughout Lent, uh, and we've already had several Sundays in Lent and we will have some more in the next few weeks, we have suggested a spiritual practice that might help draw people closer to God. And this week, our practice is centering prayer. And I am going to invite you into a time of centering prayer this morning, wherever you are. There is no right or wrong way to do centering prayer, but here's how it basically works. 
you were going to choose one word, a prayer or intention that you want to hold in your heart and in your mind at this moment. That word may be something like joy or peace or comfort. I can't tell you what the word is. Only you and God know what word will focus for you right now. But allow it to center your heart and your mind and open space for God's presence to dwell with you and amongst you at this time. So what I'm going to invite you to do now is think about what that word might be that you're going to hold on to. And then I want you to get real comfortable wherever you are. I want you to get in a nice seated position. Ground yourself with your feet on the ground. Let this creation in which we live hold you. Let it cradle you at this time. And I want you to breathe in and breathe out. And I want you to begin to focus on that word. If your mind begins to wander, your monkey mind, as one of my friends, Sally Honor, who leads our Tazay services here, likes to call it, if your mind gets distracted, that's okay. That's a part of our natural bent toward worrying. But simply return to your focus word and let it hold you. And let it hold space for God to take up residence in your heart this morning. I'm going to have a seat and we're going to sit in silence for a few minutes. Continue to center on that word. Notice God's deep presence with you at this time. And then I will close our time of centering prayer with a brief word of spoken prayer. God who creates the heavens and the earth and us 
along with it and the blossoms and the birds. We know you are with us. Tend to our worrying hearts and minds. Help us sense your deep abiding presence and love. Help us to be in these days ahead. Help us to love and help us to do what it is that is in front of us to do, nothing more and nothing less. It is in the name of the triune God, God, our creator and parent, Jesus Christ, our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit, our sustainer, that I pray. Amen.